Well, good morning, Orchard Hill. It is good to be back with you this morning. Have you ever felt like you were hiding under a blanket? Or maybe like you wanted, if you're honest, to hide under a blanket because it's felt safer and a little bit more comfortable there? We like to laugh at Bob, but I think a lot of us can resonate with him, can't we? When it comes to sharing this crucial life and death information we have, sometimes it feels easier to hide under a blanket. But this morning we start a three-week series that's not about hiding. A three-week series, instead of hiding, is about celebrating our call as disciples to join God in sharing the good news with all creation. We call it the Great Commission Celebration. What is the Great Commission? Do you know that Barna Research tells us that only 17% of all Christians have any idea what the Great Commission even is? 17% of the church, of God's people, know what the Great Commission is. The other 83 don't know. That's wild. Because the Great Commission are the last words of Jesus to his church before he ascended into heaven after he resurrected. Last words are pretty important, aren't they? This is Christ's last command to his followers. And if 83% of the church don't know what God has called us to do, we are in a bad spot. And so before we begin this celebration this morning, I think it's important for us to say, what the Great Commission is so that 83% of us that don't know are all on the same page as we go through this series. Sound good? Okay. So the Great Commission, like we said, Jesus' last words, last command to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. They come to us from Matthew 28, and they're these words. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Or as it's recorded in the book of Mark, which I like because it's a little bit shorter and gets to the point, says this, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Let's say that together. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Pretty simple, right? This, the Great Commission, some call it the Great Commandment, is Jesus' invitation, his call, his summons of the church to go take what they've seen, what they've tasted, the goodness in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to bring it out to a world hungering for some good news. It's not difficult to comprehend or to understand. It's simply Jesus saying, look and see. Now go and tell. Pretty simple, right? So simple, in fact, that this is the response we get in the book of Mark about how the disciples answered the summons. We just read the words of Mark 16, verse 15. And just four verses later, this is the response of the disciples. After this, the Lord Jesus had spoken to them. He was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. Where did they preach? Everywhere. Everywhere. Where did they preach? Everywhere. Everywhere. So Jesus says, go into all the world, 
preach the good news to all creation. The disciples listen, they hear it, and they say, okay, we went and we preached the good news everywhere. It's an easy response. What we see of them and what we see in the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament is an excited obedience, is a willing response to say, yes, Jesus, I've seen what you've done for me. I want to tell the world I'll go do it. And yet I think, sometimes if we're honest, myself included, oftentimes our response to this invitation from Jesus, our response to our God-given identity as disciple-makers, as image-bearers, as news-bringers, looks a lot less joyful, excited, and obedient than those first disciples and looks a little bit more like our blanket hider, doesn't it? It's easy to laugh at the silliness of Bob and Barb this morning, but we resonate with that. I know I do. So often it feels safer under our blankets, right? It feels safer in our homes. It feels safer with our friends. It feels safer with our, our teams, our classmates, our own hobbies, our own church family, our own people. And it's easy to get insulated in this little circle of Christians. But that's not where God calls us to stay all the time. He invites us out from under our blankets into the world to bring the good news there. Have you ever felt more comfortable under a blanket than you do going out into the world? Anybody? This is a call and response thing. So, okay, yeah, most of us feel a little bit more comfortable under our blankets. Why? Why? This is, why do you feel more comfortable? What are the things that we're afraid of when we share the good news? What did Bob hit on this morning? Rejection. Rejection. We're afraid that people won't like us anymore. That we're going to be that crazy person that says something that pushes people away and we're going to lose relationships, right? Why else? We don't have enough answers, right? We're afraid we're going to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. Or we're going to be ignorant. Or they're going to ask us that one question that, if we're honest, we still haven't figured out and we're wrestling with, right? So how can I share with you when I don't have all the answers? Why else don't we share? Why else do we hide under our blankets? Fear. Fear. We're afraid of what could happen, right? How about busyness? How many of us actually have margins in our lives that we've left to go out, seek out non-Christians outside of our circle, and to share this good news? There are a ton of reasons to hide under a blanket. <laughs> there are a ton of reasons that if we're honest, we've seen the open door, and we have retreated and hid under our warm little protective shelters. But the reality is today, friends, and what I want us to hear as we begin this three-week celebration None of those things, none of those fears, excuses, realities that drive us under our blankets have anything to do with the reason we share our faith. We don't share because we've got time. This is convenient for my schedule, yes! We don't share because we're so smart, we've studied, and we have all the answers. We don't share because we're looking for more friends and popularity. Do you think that's why Jesus shared? They nailed him to a cross. I don't think that's why he told the world that the kingdom of heaven was near. <laughs> none of these things that we've talked about this morning, even having the spiritual gift of evangelism, none of these things are the reason that we share. 
And in order to find the, the joy, the excitement, the boldness to truly celebrate the Great Commission for these three weeks, we need to understand what's at the heart of why we share. So before we get into anything else over the course of these next three weeks, that's the question we're going to answer today. What is the heart of why we share our faith? What is at the heart of Jesus' last words, this great commission, go and tell others about me? The answer is simple. The heart of why we share is who our God is. What's at his heart? And the answer to that is that our God is a missional God. From the beginning and all throughout scripture, our God was not content without us. Our God has been seeking out the lost for generations, for years, for centuries. He has looked and said, I want that man. I want that woman. God's great love for us has driven him to seek and to save the lost and to come after us. It's who our God is. That's why we're here today, right? You didn't just stumble in here because you thought it was a great idea. You haven't been serving the Lord since you accepted Christ at age five because you came up with this brilliant thing. The Lord has been seeking you out your entire life. Our God is missional. We see that from the very beginning in his character. And until we understand the missional heart of God and we have been captivated and changed by it ourselves, our blankets will seem a much better place for us to stay than going out into that scary world with some news we're not sure how the world is going to receive. But once we understand and have been changed by the heart of our missional God, then it's no longer an obligation. It's a joy, a joy to go out and tell the world about Jesus, a joy to embrace our identity as people who make disciples, a joy to join our God in the greatest mission he has ever given to tell the world about him. And so this morning, as we begin the series, we are going to look at how God has consistently been missional throughout all of scripture and is still today. So turn with me to the very beginning, if you will, to Genesis 12, well, almost the very beginning. Genesis 12, starting in verse 1, we're going to be looking at the call of Abraham. I want to give you some clarity as we go through this morning. This is called the call of Abram, but when we talk about Abram, you might know him more as Abraham. Eventually, God changes his name from Abram to Abraham, meaning the father of many nations. So, brothers and sisters, Genesis 12, starting in verse 1, hear the word of the Lord from the book that we love. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. From the very beginning, our God's heart is missional. Abram, Abraham, 
God seeks him out and makes him his namesake, the father of many. Abraham is used by God to be the patriarch of the people of Israel. From this childless, barren man and woman, God brings about the whole nation of his special chosen people. But it's important to know where Abram, Abraham is when God calls him. Did you catch where it said he was? I guess maybe it doesn't say right in here. Okay, well, I'm going to tell you where he was. He says, leave your country and your people and your father's household. It's the land of Ur. It's in Lower Mesopotamia. If you're not familiar with Ur, that's okay. If you're wondering where Lower Mesopotamia is, go home and look on a map. We don't have time for that today. But he's in the land of Ur. And what we know about Ur at this time was Ur was the center of this polytheistic religion. Meaning the people of Ur were not Yahweh followers. People of Ur were known for worshiping many, many gods. And centrally at, at, the, at the core of who all these different gods were was one god, a moon god, whose name was ironically Sin. Right? How ironic is that? So, Abraham, when God calls him, he's not a righteous man. He's not a perfect man. You don't even get the idea that he's a good man. What Abraham is, what his ancestors were, are people who worshipped many, many gods. And antithesis to our, our one and only God, Yahweh. In Joshua 24, this is reiterated when the Lord God says, Long ago your ancestors, including Terah the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land. God goes after a lost man. He sees one, and he says, I want that man. Not because of anything he had done or because of who he was, but because our God is a missional God. And from the beginning, he has been calling the lost, the broken, those in darkness, those worshiping other gods, those confused to himself and revealing his goodness and his nature to them. We see this in the life of Abraham. But then God goes a step further, as God always does. He likes to blow us away. He doesn't just stick with the family of Abraham. He makes this missional promise. He says, Abraham, I'm going to take you, and I'm going to take Sarah. I'm going to take this barren couple, and I'm going to use you to make an entire nation for myself. And through that nation, the world is going to see me. So not only am I going to seek out one man, I'm going to multiply that man to seek out the world, to share my glory, and to show them who I am through that nation. Genesis 18 tells us this. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. So the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he would promise to him. The family would follow the ways that God lays out for them. And in doing so, in having this relationship with God, in surrendering to him and living the way that God has shown them, 
They, Abraham and his family, multiplied by generations, the entire nation of Israel would stand set apart as a beacon of light, showing the world who their God was. We see that all over the Old Testament, don't we? Israel is not like the other nations. Israel, well, when Israel is on par, right, when they're doing what they're supposed to, there's plenty of times where Israel doesn't do what they're supposed to, we can resonate with that. But when Israel is doing what the Lord has called them to do, as he says here to Abraham, they look different. Things are happening that point the world to God. We see this all over in 2 Chronicles. Israel comes against this unbeatable army. And they fall on their knees in prayer before God. They say, we know we can't win this one, God. We need you, God. Even though we don't understand, we're going to do what you tell us and we're going to go into battle. And when they go into battle, God has already supernaturally taken care of all the enemies and they lay dead before them before they ever got there. And do you know what scripture tells us? Scripture tells us when the nation saw this, the fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Because these people were set apart, because they followed God, because they obeyed and lived in a radical way different, fear of God, understanding of that God, awe of that God, came upon the nations walking in darkness. God used his people to glorify himself and to show the world who he was. In 2 Samuel, when David comes against Goliath, when he's standing in front of a pagan nation that does not know the Lord, he says these words to Goliath. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. David and Goliath, Abraham and Sarah, the entire nation of Israel, from the beginning, do you see our God's missional heart on display? He sought out a people for himself from one lost man and used that entire people set apart to show the world who he was. Our God has been missional from day one. And the fulfillment to his promises made to Abraham are the fulfillment of his missional heart. Ultimately fulfilled in one who eventually came from the line of Abraham. In Matthew 1, verse 1, we see the genealogy of Jesus. And it says this, This is the genealogy of Jesus, the, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. From one man, lost, not knowing God, Yahweh picked him up, brought him to himself, sought him out, made him new, made him into an entire nation, and from that set-apart nation, he brought the one. God himself came incarnate, came to us from the line of Abraham. From that missional moment, God brought the Savior of the world to us in the ultimate missional act, sending Jesus into the world. And what do we know about how Jesus lived? Luke 19 tells us this. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man, God himself, came to earth, 
Not for his own pleasure. He didn't come because it was going to be a great vacation for him. This is no Disney World for Jesus. He didn't come because he needed to. Jesus came as the incarnation, the perfect fulfillment, the representation in flesh and blood of our God's missional heart. We had been separated from God. There was no way back to him because of our sin except for Jesus. And so he came and he lived and he died on the cross in our place as the ultimate missional act because he wanted us to be with him. Our God in our brokenness, as Romans tells us, while we were still sinners, while we were the enemies of God, Christ went to the cross for us. He leaves the 99 to go after the one. He ate with the sinners, with the tax collectors, with the prostitutes. Jesus came to find the unhealthy. It's not the healthy that need a doctor, he said, it's the sick. Jesus spent his life doing the opposite of what the religious teachers expected him to do, being this pious man. Instead, he brought himself, humbled himself, took on our flesh, and sought the loss and the broken of the world. That is our God's missional heart. That is the narrative of scripture, of how God has been moving Really, before the foundations of the earth, he tells us we were called. He has been moving all throughout to show us his consistent, loving, missional heart. A heart that wants you, that wants me, that wants your neighbor, your coworker, those in Africa, in, in Guatemala, those to the ends of the earth, to Timbuktu, and those right next to you this morning, to know who he is. Because he's a God of love, and he has been on mission from before the foundations of the earth. Scripture tells us God's not slow to fulfill his promises, as some understand the concept of slowness. Instead, he's patient, not wanting anyone to perish. So often we hear that our God is a God of damnation, a God of judgment, a God of anger and wrath. And while our God is many things, including jealous, and he has this powerful wrath, what we see is that our God wants no one to perish. Do you hear his missional heart? Do you hear who he is? And have you experienced it for yourself? Because if you are in Christ, if you have said yes to Jesus, you have experienced the missional heart of God because he came after you. You are a testimony to the missional heart of God. God started with Abraham, made him into a great nation, and used that nation to glorify himself and to bring the truth of who he was. And then from that nation came Jesus, the Messiah, who brought us the truth of who he is. And now that Messiah has a family, has a body. It's called the church. And this man's family, this man's body, you, the church, those who have been personally impacted by the missional heart of God, are now equipped, called, and empowered, and sent out to go tell the world about what he did for you. In Isaiah, Isaiah 9, the prophecy about Jesus says this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. That was you and that was me, friend. That 
was Abraham. That was the nations in the Bible. Those are the nations today. We all start in the darkness, but the great light, Jesus Christ has come, has died, and has risen. And if you have been impacted by the missional heart of God, Jesus, the light of the world, as he calls himself in John, now tells us this in the Sermon on the Mount. He looks at his disciples and says, Now you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. A city in ancient times set on a hill, lit up in the darkness at night, it could not be hidden. It's shown as a beacon. Brothers and sisters, this is why we share. If you have been impacted by the missional heart of God, you are the light of the world. When you received Jesus, when he sought you out and said, this one is mine, and you put your faith in him, you became light. And the truth is, you didn't just receive Jesus. The world received you. The world received you as a representative of Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And now our call, our identity, our immeasurable joy is to get to be light, be hope, be salt, be the representation of the good news of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately, desperately needs to know the hope of Jesus. It's not an obligation. It's not something worth hiding under a blanket and being scared to do. It's a joy, a privilege, and a response to love for God because we've been impacted, we've been loved by his missional heart. In John 14, Jesus says these words, If you love me, keep my commands. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. His last command was the Great Commission, right? I can't say this enough. We don't go because we have to. We go, like John tells us, because we love him. Because we've seen his missional heart. We've seen who our God is, and we love it. We love him. We've been changed and saved by him. We don't go because we're chained to evangelism. We go because we've been freed from our chains in Jesus Christ, the one who loves us and the one who looks at the world and says, I want them. That's why we go, because of love for the amazing loving heart of our missional God. And what are the greatest commandments? If we love him, we'll keep his commands. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. The epitome of loving our God is to glorify him. And the epitome of loving our neighbors as ourselves is to share the greatest, like Bob said, important, life-saving, life-or-death news we have with him. That Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again to the glory of those who have faith in him. If you are in Christ, you have been chosen, called, equipped, and given the identity as a light bringer, a good news teller, an evangelist, a prophet, whatever you want to call it, you have been chosen by our missional God to go on mission with the love of Christ and in the privilege he has given you to tell the world about him.
This is a gift, not an obligation. Kurt and I, as you know, recently had our son River. When I think about River, as a mom now, our greatest hope for our son, what we pray for, what we're trying to instill in him already, is a love for Jesus. Parents, do you know this? Do you pray this for your children? A love for Jesus, for him to know the missional heart of our God and to be saved by him. But I have to tell you, it can't just be me and Kurt. <laughs> My prayer is so much bigger than God used Kurt and I. My prayer is that you, Orchard Hill, someone on the street one day, his teachers, his friends, his coaches, his co-workers in the future, would get out from under their blankets and would seek out the little rivers of the world and would tell him the good news that Christ has died for him. Christ has risen and in faith. He's coming again, and River can have eternal life because of this. That's not an obligation. I don't want anyone to see my son as an obligation. I want them to see him as a joy that they get to tell him what Jesus has done for him. For all the little rivers of the world, for those who are broken, who have never heard the word of Jesus. Those every tribe and tongue and nation that has yet to hear of him, that we're raising up young people right now to go to. For those down the street from you, your neighbor, your coworker that has never really been introduced to who our God is. For those who knew God but were hurt by the church or turned their back on him. My prayer, Orchard Hill, is that those of us who have been affected by the missional heart of our loving God will never see this as an obligation, but will see it as a joy that we get to be part of because we have been loved by our missional God. So today, as we end, as we begin this celebration, I ask you, is it a celebration for you? Are you celebrating the fact that a missional God sought you out, and now you get to be part of the seeking out and telling the good news with him? Or is it easier for you to hide under a blanket? Both are honest answers. But my prayer is that you actually ask yourself that question today. Am I celebrating that I get to be part of sharing the world that Christ is true? Or am I hiding under a blanket? And my encouragement to you today is if you're under a blanket, take some time to sit at the missional heart of God. You cannot muster up love for God and love for your neighbor on your own. How many of us have ever said, okay, this is going to be the year. I'm going to do it. I'm going to share with somebody and then failed. I know I have. Has anybody else been there? Yeah. Or you see the opportunity and you're like, I got this. I got this. And then you don't got it. And you go back under your blanket. We're broken people. We can't muster this up on our own. This kind of boldness. This kind of joy, this kind of excitement only comes from being changed by the love of God and his missional heart. So I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters in Christ, if you are struggling to get out from under your blankets, first go sit at the feet of our missional God. Get in the word, get in worship, douse yourself in a reminder of who he is. Let yourself feel the love that he has given you. And then as you are reminded, as you are changed, as you are molded by his missional love, then 
And only then will we be transformed in such a way that it's no longer an obligation. We can throw our blankets away and we can run into the world with the good news that Jesus saves and see it as a celebration together. Amen? Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning just so thankful that you sought us out, God. That you left your throne in heaven and said, that one is mine, and you came to make a way. God, this morning, I just pray we would be in awe, completely in awe, overwhelmed by the love of our God's missional heart this morning. And then that love, the understanding of your heart and the love that it has for us, would propel us out into the world with joy to declare the good news of who you are to a world lost in darkness. God, let it never be said of Orchard Hill Church that we saw joining you on mission as an obligation, as a burden. Instead, God, let us go from this place in joy, with grace and love, with true excitement, ready to tell the world at every opportunity you bring us, whether near or far, that Jesus saves. We love you, Lord. Give us the words of life and help us to go and tell the world about you. In your name we pray. And all God's people said,